Happy New Year, everyone. Happy 2019. Welcome to What The If. We have an incredible episode this week coming up in just a few seconds. Dr. Vanessa Parada from Sydney, Australia, coming to us direct to talk about her specialty, what whales think, what they're like, and how they blow their nose. A stunning and gripping way to start 2019. I'm so glad you're here. Also want to give you a quick heads up. A lot of you have been asking, how can you get a finger puppet like we send to all our fabulous guests and our fabulous listeners like you who write in with ideas for the show that get turned into episodes? How can you get your own puppet? And the fabulous folks at the Unemployed Philosophers Guild have said, we want to, they want to help us help you. 10% off at philosophersguild.com. If you use a secret uh, code, it's a secret. So I'm telling you now, get ready. Four letters, not those four letters. Here they are. W-T-I-F. That's it. Go to philosophersguild.com. Look at all the finger puppets, and there's a million other things there too. Smart, funny gifts for smart, funny people. That's what they make for people like us, you know? Go to the website and buy a bunch of stuff for yourself. The holidays are over. Use the coupon code WTIF. And now let's get to it. We're going to Australia. Welcome to What the If. I'm Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, here with the professor. A professor, anyway. A, <laughs> a professor mm-hmm. called Matthew Stanley, PhD. That's true. If there was a the professor, who would it be? Oh, that's a good question. It would be some obscure Parisian academic from 1138 or whatever. Wow. Whoever kind of first it was the first proper university professor. I'll bet someone's got that information somewhere. I'll try to look it up for you. Well, you had me a Parisian. <laughs> <laughs> so but before we get to it, we have a very excited, I'm really very excited that we have an exciting guest uh, coming up. That's a tease. That's how we do it in the business. First, I want to get to the listener mailbag, which we haven't done in a very long time. And boy, have they been piling up. Just to be clear, because we are a science program and we are about facts, it is not an actual bag. And it is mail, but it comes in digital form. Here's the first one. Uh, Rick, th- this one literally just came in. Matt, I'm, I think I haven't had a chance to even just send this to you. This literally, as I was having a fine... Hot- seconds ago? Yeah. Moments ago, as I was having a fine hot dog, pre-show hot dog dinner, as we do in America. It's from Rick from St. Petersburg, Florida. This was on Twitter. He says, what the if show, and at Philip A. Shane, which is Ma... Uh, Rick says, just listened to your latest show and loved it in all caps. Mm. Into <laughs> This I like. Now, kids, parents, put your ears over your kids' ears for one second. 
Here it comes. Intellectual shit talking is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> okay, you can let the kids know. Is that what now. we do? <laughs> Yet no I don't get to do that very often. Smiley face. Time to dive into the back catalog. Uh-oh. Which is fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Rick. And we promise to talk smack about intellectuals again. Here's another one from Jeff, our friend, one of our friends who we did a show about based on one of his emails from earlier. He says, thank you for doing an episode on parallel universes and the new one on infinite probabilities. So as I mentioned in my previous email, no one has ever accused me of being a genius. He just wants to repeat that and make sure we know. As a result, these episodes have been a lot to digest. I really enjoyed them. Excellent. It will be followed by intellectual. <laughs> I and now now he mentions here. This is very interesting. I'm just going to put this out there, and we're going to let it simmer for future episodes. I have been doing some reading into the atrocities committed by Unit 731 during World War II. Oh. I was reading about this around the same time I listened to your episode featuring the quote badass astronomer Tycho Brahe subverting the ideas of a stationary celestial heaven. Both these things got me thinking, what if science, what the if science did not concern itself with government or morality, but operated independently? Are there stories of renegade scientists not conforming to the laws of society? There are indeed. There are indeed. Might be a somewhat heavy episode, but we can do it. And to Jeff's credit, he anticipated that, uh, as he says, uh, he said, for instance, there are some stories coming out of China now. Uh, I could be way off, but I've read enough comic books that everything I say <laughs> should be taken <laughs> with a grain of salt. This might be too dark or too weird to fit properly into the tone of your show. I like your podcast because it is really positive and funny. Nice. Thank you. Anyway, thanks again and keep on ifing. So yeah, we'll think about that. There's some good food for, food for thought there. Kenneth Depew. Oh, okay. So this is a hilarious one. You're going to enjoy this one. Kenneth wrote in to say the subject is Little Sable Point Lighthouse. Okay. Mr. Shane, did you do a painting of the Little Sable Point Lighthouse in <laughs> 2004? Thank you for your time, Ken. And? I said, I don't think I've ever painted anything in my life, although I enjoy white lighthouses. Why do you ask? He says, I was given a painting with the name Philip Shane on it, and I found you on Google. Thank you for getting back to me. And uh, I simply said, thank you very much. Uh, can you send me a picture of it? And this is true. And I, I repeat it, Ken, if you're still, if you're listening at all, if you ever listen to this show ever, uh, if you Google me again, I, I'd love to know who the real artist was when you find out who it is. It could be a relative. This is some of the strange things we get. Now, uh, another another food for thought for later. And I, I'm, I'm reading these, by the way, listeners, I'm reading these to get your brains started. I think if, if you hear some of these things, you know, get you, this is the kind of stuff people are writing. Uh, you can write in this vein or a totally different vein. But these are the kind of thoughts that our audience gets when they start intellectual S-talking. This is a, a future episode we talked about we wanted to do. Bill. Bill from Winchester, Virginia, one of our regulars, master, master, super ifer. What if the water molecule was not polar? Yeah. I mean. That's a big one. <laughs> I don't even know. And he goes on. He guess he's a chemist. He's background chemistry. 
So uh, listeners, just think about that. What if the water polo? What if water polo? <laughs> yes. Was, was, yeah. Miguel, another super ifer from South Africa. Johannesburg, I believe, outside Johannesburg, writes uh, in to tell us again, I've really been enjoying your shows lately, especially because you've been digging into stories behind the people at the forefront of science. I was blown away by the length of time that Aristotelian thinking lasted, which, Matt, I think you mentioned was a thousand years. Yeah. Or 1500 or something like that. Uh, With your mutual knowledge and brand of humor, loving this show. Thank you very much. Another one uh, from Twitter, Constantine in Los Angeles, who is a teacher and a writer. And we'll just give a quick shout out. He wrote a book called Strange Days. I don't know. I I think it's a science fiction book. And it has the subtitle or tagline, Their Future Hangs by a Thread. Strange Days by Constantine Singer. Free, Free shout out. Because he says, I don't know how I didn't know about your podcast. Huh. This has led me to some truly fantastic content. That's wonderful. Thank you. And our final one, Jackie from Ohio is responding to our episode on uh, simulation theory mm-hmm. and, and also an article that I'd published from Quanta uh, magazine, I believe, about that on that subject. She says, Jackie from Ohio says, but, 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 I think that's intellectual S talking. But, 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 where did the simulators come from? The aliens Ah. or the creators, who are they? We are still left with some ultimate question. It can't be simulations all the way up either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very clever. And the bug that is that the simulator, a bug that the simulators have overlooked is the one where they failed to provide the answer to that question such that we are incapable of questioning it. Might as well just go have tea with the Mad Hatter. That sounds good. I like tea. Yeah, that's interesting that a perfect simulation would keep us from wondering this question. Definitely a flaw. So listeners, write into us at feedback at whattheif.com or on Twitter at whattheifshow with your thoughts. And you're going to have a lot of thoughts generated by our very exciting guest who is sailing into our harbor right now. We are in Sydney today. We are in Sydney Harbor. And we have with us... I'm going to... I'm going to let you spring on the audience the incredible thing that just happened to you. So I'm going to say, welcome, Vanessa Parada, whale researcher, to What They Have. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. I just became, as of yesterday, an official doctor. Just now. whale snot. (laughs) (laughs) A whale snot. Thank you for having me. So do you get like, is it? Vanessa Parada, comma, PhD, comma, W snot? <laughs> it's kind of like that. I remember I once got someone on Twitter going, oh, you're the whale snot woman. <laughs> <laughs> I should have saved that somewhere. <laughs> it's, it was quite funny. But, yes, working with whale snot does give one a bit of a reputation nice. about uh, in the science world of working on something a little bit quirky. And how did you come to do focus on whales? Uh, you, you study a lot about whales. But whale snot in particular, oh, was that, is that what your dissertation was on? My is, dissertation was very broad. Uh, so unfortunately, it couldn't all be about whale snot, but it is rather looking at conceptual and practical applications for the conservation of cetaceans, which is cetacean is basically a collective term word that 
refers to dolphins, whales and porpoises, which are all sort of linked in. And if you hear me say cetacean throughout the show, it's just me by force of habit talking collectively about these wonderful marine mammals that many of your listeners may have seen. Cetaceans, yeah, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. There was some movie with the Cetacean Institute. Am I correct about that? Like a- Star Trek IV? Oh, okay. <laughs> You're right. I, I, yes. Was that your favorite? That was actually, of all the Star Trek movies, my favorite. Did you, were you always a whale lover? Yeah. I don't know why, what it was. Maybe it was the movie Free Willy, or which Free Willy, by the way, being a killer whale, is actually the largest dolphin. It's not a killer oh, whale yeah. at all. So it's not a whale, rather, at all. So there's a first fact. Uh, but the funny thing is I grew up on a farm, which I'm in Sydney right now, which is probably about where I am is 20 minutes to the beach, but where I was was three hours from any beach at all. And I have no idea why I love these animals. <laughs> I had books. I, I followed, was very passionate about these animals throughout my career, and then I ended up following and going down this very diverse and interesting research path which has led me now to have become a doctor and also a, a, a knowledgeable about whale snot <laughs> <laughs> which is really bizarre that's, that's a pretty great life trajectory there i could see that i mean there's a lot of free willy in there if you're trapped yeah. inland and you wanted to be free uh, what was do you remember the very first time you saw a whale in person or in cetacean i guess you would say <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, very good use of terminology there. I remember I was working at a zoo and the, I was going out for my first whale watch trip ever. And the, as I was walking down to, I, I don't know what exactly I was doing, but a bird actually pooed on my shoulder and I thought to myself, I hope that's good luck. I hope I see whales tomorrow. And then I actually ended up seeing whales and it's a place in Australia known as Eden, which if you have Sydney then you go down south from Sydney about seven hours, and which is not too far from Canberra, which is the capital of Australia. And we were looking for humpback whales because we often get a lot of humpback whales. They're a very common animal that we see off the east coast here of Australia. But we actually ended up seeing killer whales, which was remarkable. Huh. And Eden is actually a really cool location in Australia for whale watchers or cetacean lovers because it's a historical location where killer whales a, a specific pod with one individual known as Old Tom, which was a very well-known male. And apparently he used to come into the bay and alert whalers that there were whales in the area. So he would work with local Aboriginal people and also people in the whale industry that, and they'd go out on boats out to sea and they would obviously, back in the day, they didn't have any very good efficient guns and then they'd work together to kill humpback whales. And apparently the killer whales would only want the tongue of a humpback whale because that's meant to be the most juiciest bit. Oh, that's weird. And I know, and it's called, they even refer to it as the law of the tongue. And so the, once the killer whales had their feed, then the whalers would bring the rest of the whale in, and then so it went on until, unfortunately, Old Tom passed. Huh. Wait, so Old Tom, do, Old Tom yeah, was, a, was, a, was a killer whale? A killer whale, yeah, and they have his skeleton preserved now in a museum. So there's a whole killer whale museum dedicated to this one individual. And I can guarantee a lot of your listeners would not have known of this story. It's really interesting. Sure. (laughs) Now, did he, like you mentioned, he got all the whalers to come out. Was it just that they saw him and so, oh, it's time, there's going to be whales? Or did he seem to know that if I get these guys coming with me, I'm going to get help? 
Yeah, well, anecdotal evidence, and they ended up doing a short documentary of, of people who were there They were in their 90s and they actually were telling us, this is really interesting, that the killer whales would come in and make a lot of commotion, so they'd breach, the tail slap, and then the whalers would then, it was like this symbiotic relationship was great. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. Great yeah, for everyone except the humpbacks and their tongues. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that's kind of bad. But we do have more modern, a more modern era. On the west coast of Australia, there are other pods of killer whales that are known to deliberately hunt poor humpback whales again, but without the use of humans. Ah, ah, so they don't need us anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of the, we have the expression, uh, cat got your tongue, if somebody right, can't speak. So now I could say, uh, orca got your tongue. Exactly. Totally, you could use that. Just get blank. See, then, then I would get the blank stare, and I would say, <laughs> "Oh no!" Say, I guess- well, if you refer to our podcast that we've recently recorded, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, what the if was super basic, super basic. When in doubt, I I go back to my my just most deep seated childlike questions, and this is true. And I wonder, did you did you wonder this? What the if we were a whale? Well, we could choose what we'll specify what kind or cetacean. What the if we were? We, what what is it like to experience now? So when you were a kid, or or even since, did you like maybe when you 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 blew your nose one day, and you said, "What if I was a whale?" Did you ever wonder what, what it would what be would like? Most not be like. Yeah. Well, when I see a whale breathing and your listeners may have never seen a whale before they're mammals like you and i so they've got a big lung capacity so an average adult lung capacity is around six liters whereas a whale being over 17 meters long and even over 40 tons worth of weight their lung capacity can be over a thousand liters so whenever i see a whale and and hear it breathe so it's like a because they do it very quickly because they've got two nostrils so it except for the lovely sperm whale, which has just the one exposed. Whenever I see that, I always think, oh, my gosh, it'd be, they're so well adapted for the ocean because they literally are. So their nose have, has moved from the front of their face to the top of the head. So it's so efficient. Rather than us being in the water, we'd have to bring our mouth to the surface to breathe. And right. I've thought about that, what it would feel like to breathe through my nose on the top of my head. And that's, yeah. And then, and then I've also thought about, well, what happens if a whale needs to blow its nose? But then... I have. I used to work with dolphins, and I know that dolphins sometimes, when they are a little bit frustrated, they do something known as chuffing. So they go, and um, it's very heavy, deliberate exhale. So maybe if they've got something up their nose, they, or they need to blow it out, they might just maybe that serves as a, a way of ejecting sort of the boogers. But hmm. generally, when we see whales come to the surface and breathe, it's that normal that, which is the exhalation of carbon dioxide, and then the. And then what we're seeing in terms of whale snot for my research is when a whale does come to the surface to take that breath, you're seeing a, a, a juicy biological mixture right before your eyes where we used to, only a relatively recently, used to think that that was just water, but rather it's a m- mixture of biological information. So there's lung microbiota or lung mucosa. So there's, there's basically, in, in general speak, it's surface material from the lung of a whale. Right. And then so, you've also got. Oh, just clear. Just give us an image here. So, so this is what the the, the spout. That the comes spout. Out. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of those two nostrils, it looks like a big bushy, uh, something big and bushy and it's clear and it's, and it's like someone's turned on a hose and then turned it off and you have the water trickling down. And so then it's who, there is, for a who is the person who thought to themselves, you know, I'll bet there's something interesting going on in that spout. I'm going to go get a handful of that snot. Oh my gosh. Well, that, that was the research is as early as I think in the 1970s, people were thinking about it, but there was a really great paper that came out uh, in the early 2000s. And then the 2010, which was a, an epic paper that came out and was looking at using, looking at collecting blow via using a pole and also uh, early primitive drone, which was actually, a re- remember those remote control helicopters and the little ethanol oh, uh, sure. cars? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those cool, really old school, you know, don't worry about d- drones were not a thought back then and they right. weren't even electrical. This is ethanol running little machines that right. what they were thinking of flying, non-waterproof, I must add. <laughs> so working with whales is great, but working in the water and with seawater just ruins anything electronic and, and anything you love, because essentially the salt is so wonderful at corroding things. So they would, if they would fly these uh, little radio-controlled RC, as we used to call them, uh, helicopter into the spout, did they have a, how did they collect? Did they have like a bucket? Well, well, back, well, back then they were using like much like what they had on the back on a pole. So if you can imagine a pole, you need some sort of collection device. And for your listeners, I've got, you can just picture this. I've got a toy whale that I'm showing right now, and I've got my pen with kind of an imaginary petri dish. Actually, you can you can picture that it's not a toy whale; it's a real whale. It is a whale, <laughs> and and a petri dish being a circular. I have one next to my desk, which is convenient. A petri dish is a circular kind of um, maybe the size of your palm, and it's just a plastic thing that we use to collect some sort of material. But mm. back in the day, the, the end of the pole, they would have it open. So just kind of like putting a plate, so to speak, in the, on the edge of a pole, holding this over a whale and waiting for them to breathe into it, collect the sample and then retrieve it. And then with the helicopter, by placing some sort of dish equivalent on the top of it, they would fly through and then there'd be water essentially because whale snot does look like water unless the animal's really sick where if you've ever blown your nose in a cold, you can see the really thick, juicy booger coming out of your nose. And sick whales are like that. Oh. But this, the, the problem is once they've collected the sample, the sample's exposed to bacteria in the air. And if they are looking at microbiota or small bacteria, small organisms, they're everywhere. So if you were to put your tongue out of your mouth right now or you put your hands through the air wherever you're driving or you're at your computer, whatever you're touching, you're at the gym, there's bacteria everywhere. And so the idea is that my research has totally stepped up in terms of trying to reduce contamination, but also using cool technology, which I can definitely speak to. Ah, oh, okay. that's very good. Now I'm the whale mm-hmm. and uh, there's a helicopter hovering over my head, which also over my nose. <laughs> Do you think, I don't know anything about what they can hear. So can they... Before before I come up to uh, blow my nose, yes. As I come towards the surface of the water, do you know? Will I have any sense that there's going to be a helicopter there when I breach the surface? A little. Well, helicopter. I don't. I don't know about the little helicopter thing because I, I wasn't involved with that research. But I do know with the drone research that I was using, 
there's been studies to try and work that question out. Are whales able to hear drones? And I know of a recent mm. publication that looked at many off-the-shelf drones, and I do say off-the-shelf drones because the drones I use for my research were custom-built, and I can talk about that a little later. But that has found that the sound output, so they used a hydrophone, which is an underwater microphone, and they placed it under the water and then they flew drones on top of it. And then what they did was measure the amount of output that each drone was producing. And overall, they found that the level at which the drones were producing sound was not very high and it's unlikely to disturb their whales. But in terms of what whales can hear, it's very important for your listeners that you have two different types of whales and you have toothed whales, which are known as odontocetes, and baleen whales, which is known as, well, baleen toothless. And toothless whales use low frequencies to communicate. And then the odontocetes, like dolphins as well, they use higher frequencies to communicate. So the drones would probably be on the higher frequency level. So we're assuming that for a humpback whale, for example, a large baleen whale, like also blue whales, that they, they might be able to hear the drone because we know that their hearing is within our similar hearing range as well. So that's a very general statement because you go into the acoustics, the acoustic world is very in-depth and I've worked with a fabulous acoustician here in Australia and he's just, every time I have a conversation with him, my mind is just, it all goes over the top of my head at times. <laughs> it's just a very, acoustic is very difficult and very in-depth, literally. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, that must be amazing. So so as I come to the surface, if I hadn't noticed the drone before, yep. maybe I sense it now. Now, we've seen, uh, you know, and I assume this is real, not anecdotal. I've seen it so much, but you can you can tell me. The whales, oh, actually, I've, I've been on whale watching boats off of, uh, for instance, Cape Cod. I used to go there every summer. Yep. And, amazing. And definitely the whales seem aware of the boats and they even get very playful around them. So have the whales shown any reaction to your drones or other apparatus? Well, fortunately, with our research, we found that the whales showed no behavioral response to our drones being over the top of them. Mm. Now we're flying our drone. We have scientific licenses and animal ethics to do all our research off Australia. It's very important to note that. And we did all our research off Sydney, which was during a migratory phase. So the whales are going through this migratory corridor to go north to Queensland to have their young babies and also find us a very attractive partner. Now, when we did do this, the whales either, as a result, we found no behavioural response, as I just said, but we found that the whales may have known the drones were there and did absolutely nothing, mm. or they may have just not known the drones were there at all and were too busy doing their own thing, like being in a competition pod where there's lots of males and maybe one female and they're trying to attract the attention of a female. It's really interesting. But as well as the boats, they definitely know they're very much aware of boat presence. And there's been some research off Sydney, Australia, to suggest that the whales are very robust to the whale watching activities there. So at least within when a boat is within a, a kilometre of a whale, the whales are likely to switch their behaviour to short, shallow dives. So mm. they're more surface aware and active. Really interesting. That is interesting. But, you know, I think that no matter if I was out trying to pick up women, say, <laughs> I, I can't imagine being so focused that I would not pay attention to someone trying to fly a small robot into my <laughs> notes. This is because Matt is a black belt in karate. 
and (laughs) can have the confidence to be at a party and be like, yeah, I got time to meet all these ladies. Whereas I would be at the party. Yeah. I mean, I, the the drone would be like, I would be annoyed that the drone is there because it's, you know, it might get in the way. Yeah. Well, good thing. It's a good thing that we don't have to fly the drone into their nose and that their blowhole, their spout can be up to at least five meters high. Or if you're a blue oh, whale, that is pretty it's, impressive, actually. it's 10 meters high. So wow. how great's that? And also, if you're a male whale, especially a humpback whale, your approach to attracting females may be a little bit different to what you would do if you're a human, which we are humans, obviously. Yeah. But rather, you would sing a very sexy sexual repertoire. You'd take a breath at the surface and then you'd hold your breath for 20 minutes and you'd sing. Wow. And hopefully wanting to attract a female. In fact, it's only the male humpback whales that sing. The females don't do it. So do I have to hold my breath to sing? Is that the way that <laughs> well, works? Well, yes. Okay. Yeah, because you are you're you're communicating underwater and whale song is very it's very cool. It's very eerie as well. And the whale song is very it whale song in general is it changes over time and it's really it's interesting. And scientists are still trying to decode what it means. Wow. So this this uh <laughs> Who's the one of the singers with the really really deep voice? Tom Tom uh, Jones. This <laughs> this cetacean Tom Jones. <laughs> he takes a takes a deep breath. How long does it take him? How long does he draw breath in before he holds? Well, his breath? With, or, Tom sorry. Jones or a whale? <laughs> <laughs> well, both. <laughs> if you know what Tom Jones does, I I could use a little bit of that technique. Um, well, a whale, if they're going to go do a, I know with sperm whales, if they're going to go do a deep dive for 45 minutes, I've seen them recuperating or re- getting their breath for at least 12 minutes at the surface. I don't actually know the answer to that question for a humpback whale, but I would assume that it would be wise for one to really take in a lot of breath. You know, kind of like if you're going to go for a little dive under a pool, in the pool, sorry, you, you really want to get that oxygen ready to go. But also, us being humans, we're really inefficient at holding our breath. If you're a free diver, there are excellent free divers out there. But still, no, none, none of the best free divers in the world have the better breath holds than a whale. Yeah, that's incredible. And then, so it, it, so it sounds a little bit like a bagpipe or something that draws in the air. Yeah, yeah. And then it's takes like 20 minutes to use all the air slowly going out. And so that's. So a sperm whale is the ones that don't sing. They do, they click rather, they're the echolocator. So it's like a. They're the rhythm section. And then, yeah, yeah. And if they see something, I can't do the rapid, the, when there's a, an, something there. But for, this, for the humpback whales, the one doing the, the sort of, I'll oh, make a humpback noise, like a, that kind of thing. Then they do have the, their, they probably wouldn't hold their breath for around 40 minutes because they don't need to. They're not deep diving animals. So around 20 minutes or so is a really, is a standard time for a breath hold or, or at least a duration of a song period that people will know of. That's amazing. Wow. And there are different, it's so sophisticated, right? That there are, I've heard there are different songs or different melodies or something and they change. Yes, they do change. So they, they, because you've got to think about it. There are humpback whales around the world in the northern hemisphere and also in the southern hemisphere. And in the southern hemisphere, there's different populations of humpback whales, much like the north, northern hemisphere. And we found that, well, not me personally, but other researchers have found that there's sort of there's a dialect and there's a transmission over time. 
And at times the song does change. So it's really interesting and it's also really good for scientists to take recordings in because they're able to document these changes, which is different. So it's not just the same thing rather than looking at all the time. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, and is it, is it that each time they dive, they take, take in breath, dive and sing, are they then going to, is it like, okay, this season we're singing this basic song or, or is it each time they dive, they're doing something totally different? I, do we I know? think it's just, I, I, I'm not an expert at that, but I believe it's a seasonality thing and maybe even a, maybe even there's a lot of variation throughout the season as well. I'm sure when they sing, it's not just a, I'm going to sing a song A from my record of 2019 track, but you know what I mean? <laughs> there might probably be some variation. It's amazing. Okay, so now wow. w- the ones who were coming back to the surface and blowing their spouts full of spray and snot. Yes. Are they non-singers or like, it seems to me that, uh, well, yeah, I have no idea if I've, do I have to, if I'm singing, okay, I've just, I've done a really awesome 20 minute medley of my, you know, the greatest hits of this season, (laughs) this migration. And there are some sperm whales in the distance giving me a nice click track and (laughs) I come to the surface. Did I, I need to save a little bit of breath? to clear out the the spout or is that are these related think of the song and breathing so whales have to breathe right we're breathing right now your listeners as they're listening to this are breathing we're all breathing and we're doing it you're not really thinking about it are we but whales being mammals as well they need to actively think about breathing they're conscious breathers so really they need to they need to think about coming to breathe so Singing and breathing are two different things. But so if you think of it as a blanket, all marine mammals that will, the ones that breathe air, marine mammals, they all do, they all need to breathe. And so all whales, all dolphins, all porpoises, they breathe regardless. So they all have, as they come to the surface, essence of whale snot or dolphin snot or porpoise snot. Singing, if an animal is going to sing, it's kind of like running a marathon in a way, in a way. This is my very general statement sure. because when you, you know, when you run up, you run upstairs, it's like, <sighs> you know, and then as you, if you're singing a song and you're a whale, it comes from really in the, the, the larynx, the, as we, if you kind of, as you speak, as I'm doing it now, I can feel my voice and it's vibrating. So it really comes from the inner part of a whale. So a whale, when you think about it, as they take a breath, and then they dive down. They're holding the breath and then they're, they're singing. So they're alternating the, the song, they're, they're generating sounds from in, internally. It's really interesting. And then right. once they're ready to come back up, take a breath, which yeah, they will do anyway. They have to be so conscious about their breathing. They're like yoga yeah, yeah. males. Yeah. Exactly. And, and if you think about it, when they sleep, it is apparent that the, they rest half their brain at a time. So they're not actually fully asleep they're they're resting they're still awake because they're still swimming as well whoa now that yeah. would be a good trick yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i know it's really interesting isn't it and also there's a sense of you're swimming through a massive ocean there's a unknown chance that you might run into a predator you know safety numbers you're in a pod or maybe many of these big large animals are doing their own thing as well yeah you've got to kind of watch out and so if do, when you say they have to remember they consciously remember to breathe. Well, I'm trying to think of what that would be like. Like, do they ever forget? Or does some? I, I don't. 
it's bizarre, That's right? Really some something question. must take over, yeah. right? Some sort of automatic. I don't exactly. So I, I don't know. I don't think anyone, no one in the world knows the answer to that, but there would have to be some sort of, yeah, this is what we do. This is what we do day in, day out. Like what we're doing now, we're breathing. We know to breathe, except for us, it's an automatic, it's a, it's a very automatic thing, whereas for them, mm. it's very conscious. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It so, kind of puts a new different perspective on whales, hey, especially because they're so big. You yeah. know that they live in the ocean, but when you really take the time to think about them, they're an interesting animal. Even that navigation always gets me. How do they navigate? How do they know? We know that cita- some cetaceans, the toothed whales, they use echolocation, so the biological sonar. But if you think of baleen whales like the humpback whale, how do they know to get from Antarctica to the Australian waters? There are some publications out there which discuss magnetic navigation, so you're using magnetic fields. But if you think about it, I have been from Australia to Antarctica on a ship and I can tell you there is not much there. At least I haven't seen right. that water, but it amazes me how they know what to do and when. That still is something as a biologist, I'm just, it's always amazing. Wow. So that's still a genuine mystery. We don't understand how they get I from place to place. Yeah. I do not think there's one person on earth that knows exactly how they do it. There's definitely publications using satellite tracking, which shows movements of whales in fact, there was a movement of this one paper, I think it was called As Straight as an Arrow by one of my really cool colleagues. Um, he's like a whale guru. I love him, Dr. F- uh, Philip Clapham. Um, and so it shows that these whales, that they, as they migrate from the southern waters of Antarctica going up to South America, these animals don't deviate from a path. So they basically continue going straight and they don't move. I think the maximum left and right movement was only like a degree or so. They just knew where they were going. How wow. cool is that? And they've never gone and, there before, some of them. Well, they they would have. So a lot oh. of these animals have culturally inherited migratory routes right. because, right. like, for example, in Australia, these animals, some of the individuals are born in Queensland, which is northern Australia, so it's north of Sydney for your listeners. And so being born there, they've never been to Antarctica before and inside their mum's tummies. So they, they learn this migratory journey, essentially, and then when the time comes for them to do it the next year, they'll then follow the others up and then they'll so, so forth and so forth and learn to go on these groups. They're also very social as well. So they will it'd be a whole group of them going up and then, you know, using the acoustics, listening to their environment and learning about it as they go through life, essentially. Wow. So I'm a whale and I'm a member of this pod. Uh, yep. And it sounds like I'm a humpback whale, I guess, is sort of what we're talking about. Yep. And um, how many, are, are we all related? Is this like a royal yeah, family yeah, or is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure there probably would be a, a royal family in some of the whale populations, but yeah. pods are very dynamic. So you could have, you could be swimming with Jack and Wendy for a period of time and then decide you want to switch to swimming with Oliver and, and Jason, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And it's, it changes a lot. And especially if you see, say Sarah over there and you're a male and you're like, Oh my gosh, that I've never seen this woman before. Who is this amazing whale? You could switch to going over there. Do you know what I mean? So it does change. However, there are other examples where, you know, populations such as the Southern resident killer whale over your way, that we know that the family members, they're very tight-knit and they will hang out so they'll have matriarchs. It's so amazing. The males will likely, depending on, likely go off and move to other groups because of genetic variation and genetic diversity, which is important. 
But for some of the females, they'll stay around the same individuals for the rest of their lives, which is amazing. Wow. So it makes sense. You're saying up up near New York is where we have these these. Well, uh, uh, actually, the southern resident killer whales are on the other side of the world, uh, on uh, oh. the Vancouver side. So okay. you think of Vancouver, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And um, but where you are, you have a very special visitor oh. known as the North Atlantic right whale, right whales in general. Which right whales are really amazing animals. They can grow up to 17, 18 meters in length and weigh up to as much as 80 tons or 80,000 kilograms. Wow. But unfortunately, the right whale is under a lot of pressure, especially the northern North Atlantic right whale, because ship strike and fishing gear entanglement is limiting the recovery of that population. It's terrible. Hmm. So it's, if anything, your listeners should definitely be aware that these animals, although amazing and traversing great uh, mileage in the ocean, they're under a little of human impacts. So a lot of human activities do threaten their existence, at least for some of them. Yeah, and and that is global global warming must be affecting them too. There's or a whole you know. host. So global warming may you may listeners probably like, well, how does global warming affect a whale? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about yeah. it, when you have warming, you're losing Antarctic ice or Arctic ice over in your way. And a lot of organisms which they feed on, such as krill and small fish, are actually associated in these types of environments. So if we have a reduction in their environment and you have growing whale populations or unfortunately declining whale populations, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a, a desire or need for these animals to be feeding on these animals. So there's a flow-on effect in a lot of different places. And also I just recently published a shipping paper which looks at marine roads, mm. looking at how we can use terrestrial road ecology is a possible way of trying to mitigate shipping impact on marine animals. And climate change came up with the introduction or the increased activity on, in areas such as the Northwest Passage, where you okay. have a decreasing ice areas, where you've now got shipping movement increasing to these areas where these whales were essentially ha- hanging out with not much acoustic pollution from ships or risk of ship strike. So the world is a very dynamic place at the moment. Or it has been at least. It's just that we're very much more in tune and very much more aware of trying to prevent interactions with these very amazing animals. Yeah. All right. So, Dr. Vanessa, you're given the the chance by an, a uh, mad scientist to have your brain transplanted into a whale. Ooh. <laughs> do, do you take the opportunity? Oh, my gosh. I think it would be, I think I'd love to take the opportunity if it was just for a moment or at least an hour experience okay. and then go back to myself. Right. But then the question to that would be, well, what kind of that whale or dolphin would I would like to, would I like to be? Well, that is a good question. Yeah. Do you have a preference? I think I'd like to be an echolocating one, one that can use biological sonar, like a sperm whale and dive down to deep trenches. I'd oh, that's interesting. That. Do you think, uh, could our human brains make sense of the information <laughs> that comes back from echolocation? Potentially, although the sperm whale has one of the world's biggest brains of any mammal. So it'd be kind of hard to transplant our little brain into their massive body. Yeah, that would make me feel kind of inadequate. Yeah. Wow. Do we know what they, their brain is so big, do we know what's in it? Like you you would automatically think, oh, they're they're very smart. Yeah. Or just like they must be so much more intelligent or something. Like, don't we find that the bigger the brain, the more the more intelligent the, the, the creature. smarter the animal or i guess I it's the ratio of like, brain to body size i think yeah remember the sperm whale also has the spermaceti organ in their bread in their head cavity which acts like a massive dive weight it's got this it's like a fluid and then um a liquid so as it gets colder it hardens to act like a dive weight as they come up 
it gets it warms and it cools so it's more liquidy and that's why they were hunted sperm whales for that one of the reasons the for the oil the spermaceti organ wow now no no matter how big the sperm whale's brain was we've yet to see a sort of rebuttal to moby dick or a companion piece a companion moby dick yeah yeah so I, these those were good questions at the end there, Matt. That for future fodder. Well, it's it's not like I'm planning to transplant brains into whales, and anybody who says otherwise is lying. <laughs> well, I, it's a question I've never ever been asked, so it's a great one, very memorable. <laughs> yeah, that. So um, you, you mentioned a couple of things. One is uh, your research. Where would you? It's two things. Basically, where would you like people to go to learn more from, uh, about your research and and um, and also maybe just in terms of conservation of the whales? How can people help the whales? Learn more and help whales. People, well, people can definitely help the whales by being good on land in terms of environmentally better. So this, the simple thing is, and this is an action everyone can take, is making sure that you put your rubbish in the bin. And if you're a smoker, put your butts in the bin. Not oh. your literal butt, but you know what I mean. Uh, and also be very be very mindful of the types of things you pour down the drain because, it, unfortunately, a lot of that does go to the ocean. Oh. But, I mean, if you're there's a motion right now in Australia, and I was recently in the Galapagos Islands, not just dropping that, but I, was, I love the Galapagos. Humble it was brag. very cool. Humble brag. Yeah, cool. and well, I had to have a fun holiday after my PhD. And they even had a picture of one of those booby birds with um, a message about don't use straws. And that's a big movement here in Australia, banning straws and at least maybe using the recycled ones. Um, but also another really big one for your listeners, and I work on a whale watching boat out of Sydney, if you have balloons, please do not release them into the air because they end up in the ocean. Oh. People, your listeners might not know that. So as sort of a different one, if, if I want your listeners to be better humans on land because our actions on land definitely have implications for that in the ocean. And I do have my own personal website as well, which has a collection of all my papers and random whale photos from around the world. Awesome. So I, I can, we, hopefully yeah. you'll put a link to that, vanessaparotta.com. And it will spell it for us. I'll spell it for you. So obviously www.vanessapirotta.com. Fabulous. And it's awesome. .com. Very interesting. .com. It's not yeah, .au. And, um, no, not .au. It's a, a great website. And also it's got all of the links to social media, which I'm constantly posting about environmental things, new research, because I love sharing research. And I'm also a massive science communicator, which is really important for scientists to do because we need to make sure that as we have technology changing the face of how we conserve wildlife, we need to make sure that we have communication adapting to do just that to make science accessible to everyone. And that's exactly what you guys are doing right now. Absolutely. Well, you're doing it and we're just, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're just in the, we're just watching. We're basking in the glow. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned <laughs> yeah, that you're, you're thinking of it, it, that uh, longer term, you know, is it more fun and or productive to be doing, well, they're both important science or science communication, but, but uh, you clearly have a gift for, for both. So, um, and pe- you're very kind. People need to be aware of whale snot. I think this is a, it's not an issue people have talked about before. Don't throw your straws and balloons in the ocean. Yep. Because you might, you know, nobody wants a straw up their nose. <laughs> We've all seen the Seinfeld episode where the golf ball goes into the whale's nose. Do you remember oh, well, that's Seinfeld? right. 
Yeah. yeah. Is anyone a marine <laughs> biologist? <laughs> that's, a, that's a classic. It's a classic. We, I love that episode. That's right. And you actually get to say, I am yes. a marine biologist. That's amazing. Exactly. But as I don't know if there's ever been a case of a golf ball going down a whale's nostrils or that of a straw. <laughs> All right. We'll see what we can do. I think in New York... <laughs> everything has happened once and it shall yeah, happen again if it's happened anywhere it's happened here exactly yeah if you can get a whale if you can get a golf ball up your nose uh here you can do it anywhere yes. <laughs> another fine, great another great uh uh um you know diving breathing singer frank sinatra uh used to sing dr vanessa what a treat to have you from so far away from 16 hours plus yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow from the future. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm talking to you from the future. It's very cool. It is. It's amazing, actually. Uh, I look forward to uh, going to the bed and then waking up tomorrow and having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, going. Uh, Matt, Matt, any uh, any things you want to give a, a shout out for? Uh, no. Good at the moment. All right. I... Uh, have a fun thing coming up, I believe, pending government shutdown. Uh, things yeah. we I'm embarrassed in front of other countries of the world to talk about our shutdown. Uh, but uh, it, it may be affecting this or not. Either way, I got invited. I'm very excited by NASA. That NASA has a program called NASA Social for educators and actually just, you know, volunteers. And I think you can be actually from anywhere. I don't think you have to be American. I've been applying for years, actually. And I finally just, I never thought I'd get accepted. But I think partially thanks to you, our listeners, and the the number of you and your participation. And certainly thanks to you, Matt. And now thanks to you, Vanessa. This program and, and some of uh, Twitter and the other places I've been putting out stuff. They said, hey, this guy has some social, this 51-year-old guy actually has managed to accumulate some social media presence. In the past, we used to call that fame and power. <laughs> now it's just, you know, I guess uh, in the future, everyone will have 15 followers. I think is what's going to happen. Anyway, got invited to the SpaceX, Elon Musk SpaceX launch uh, coming up uh, January 17th, thereabouts, depending, uh, depending on weather and, and other factors. But I'll be at the launch don't know if we get to meet Mr. Musk. That would be pretty mm. cool. But we're going to meet. We Apparently, it's like Space Camp or something. We get to meet all kinds of people. Uh, we get to go to the launch pad, and it's going off. Uh, it's taking off from historic. I'm not sure when was the last time they had a launch there. Historic pad 39A, which is where the Apollo missions took off from. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Was abandoned for, for quite a long time. Now fired up and uh, ready to go again in a public-private partnership to the space station. If this uh, rocket goes successfully, this mission is called Demo-1. If it's successful, people will go up on the next mission. So, very exciting. That is really exciting. Well, congratulations on that. Thank yeah. you. I'm super psyched. So, so I'll put out a lot more info about on that, but uh, follow uh, at What The If Show. You'll get to see some awesome pictures of that. And we're also on Facebook, What The If. Yeah, there's Facebook slide. Facebook.com slash What The If. Vanessa, I hope we get to get you back again in gratitude. We're going to send you a finger puppet from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. And I think it's going to be Mr. Spock, you know, because he's the one who communed with the whales 
in that documentary, Star Trek IV. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listeners, write in with your ideas. What did you think of the show today? How did it feel to be a whale? It was pretty cool. Uh, would you put your brain in a whale? Write to us. Feedback at whatthef.com. Also, send us any que- any science questions you got, uh, ideas for future shows, anything like that. We'd love, uh, we love to read them. We do read all of them. If I don't respond to you immediately, uh, uh, we try to get back to everyone, but we definitely do read them all. And uh, some of them rise right to the top as episode ideas, but all of them are fascinating. Matt and I do discuss them. Go to our website, whattheif.com, and you can listen to all the episodes, almost coming up on 80 episodes, which is kind of mind-boggling, whattheif.com, and on Twitter, at whattheifshow. Join us. There's more than 20,000 or something people there, uh, community growing every day. If you're a bot, that's cool. If you're Russian, uh, that's cool. Chinese or, or, you know, from Moldova, you want to... You can share anything except alternative facts. I don't want any of that. I don't want any of this conspiracy stuff. But real science lovers like you who are actually listening to our show, come on aboard at What The If Show on Twitter. And of course, if you haven't done already, remember, you can subscribe. If you don't know how to subscribe for whatever reason, you're not sure how to do it or you just think it takes too long, it couldn't be simpler. Go to our website, whattheif.com, click on the word subscribe. And all you have to do is click, uh, you listen to Apple Podcasts, listen, you use Android, whatever. Click the one you like and bang, you're done. And uh, congratulations, I just look forward to hearing whatever, what are you going to do? I guess now you're just going to chill or are you already back to researching? I'm back to searching. The world is my oyster right now. So I'm hopefully looking for some exciting things. <laughs> Oysters. Very interesting. Yeah, that's right. Oysters. <laughs> no, maybe that's a good postdoc. Oyster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a pearl in there. Oh! <laughs> of wisdom. So, Vanessa, I hope you'll join with us. I, I'm not sure if you've heard our post, our end of show ritual, where we just try to, speaking of being in the future, we try to imagine what horrors, what mishaps, what confusion we will be bringing into the universe next week when we mess with it and dive deep. We, let's ever, okay, let's breathe deep. And we will say what, what the, the if. If. <laughs>